I know uh, this summer we had an opportunity and we were invited out for a special uh, two, two, day, or two nights and three days up at this place called uh, Terry All River Ranch. And uh, it's a family from here in uh, Colorado Springs. It goes to one of our partner churches. And um, our family thought, you know what? Uh, we want to do something for others. And so they had this opportunity, and God blessed them to, to um, buy this ranch that they had long gone to. And so as part of that, they had this inspiration to invite uh, pastors, missionaries, those serving in ministry out and bless them with the time every now and then, a time of refreshment. And I tell you, you go up there, and then they, they make sure everything's okay. They find out what your family likes, and they prepare meals and and uh, there's another missionary couple staying there, and the, the host would get up at 5 a.m. because she knew he loved to get up, read his Bible at 5 a.m. with hot coffee, and she would go all the way to his cabin and deliver it on the doorstep. Uh, top-notch service. I don't know if you've ever uh, been treated that way, where you go into a place and you're like, man, I am being treated like a king or a queen, and I absolutely love it, right? And you, you're like, what do you want to do when that happens? You want to go tell other people about it, don't you? You want to go tell them, wow, you've got to go here. Their service is first class. It's world class. And word begins to spread. And uh, right, that's what Chick-fil-A is known for because uh, they use that phrase, which I don't think they coined it, but my pleasure. And uh, I always like to see how many times I can get them to say it while I'm there. But uh, yeah, I do enjoy that. But the idea is that you're, what are you known for? What are these... If you're known for something good, um, then people will come. And I was listening to an interview uh, with Horst Schultze, and he is the guy that uh, came and he founded what we know as the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Top of the line, five-star hotel, where you go and every need you have is catered to and met from the moment you enter the doors. This place is phenomenal. And... They want to treat you well. And what he learned very early on as he worked his way up the ladder uh, from a maitre d' gave him a lesson. He says, you are a gentleman serving gentlemen. And so now he goes in with, I think he's Austrian, his Austrian accent, and he says, on his training, he says, you are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And he says that to the cook, to the maid, to the doorman, to the receptionist, says, you are all ladies and gentlemen, and I will treat you like that. And you are also serving ladies and gentlemen. And what that did is it gave his employees a level of dignity and a level of value for what they were doing. And they began to realize that they were important to the mission. And he began to teach them that, that every person is special. He gave them that dignity. And even the toughest customers, he said, you treat them like ladies and gentlemen. Even the ones that don't thank you or have a hundred complaints, we aren't going to break our standard. We are going to serve, and we are going to help them. And we have this grand mission given to us by our Creator, glorify God by making disciples. And now we're not driven, right, by employment by God, but we are driven by this idea that we are in God's family. We've been talking about that, that we're better together, that we are sons and daughters of the king, serving sons and daughters of the king when we're in the body of Christ, serving our brothers and sisters in Christ and treating them with the dignity that they are a child of God. 
And for us, that bleeds out into the world and how we view other people. And we might call them our guests or those who are lost or we interact with. We treat them with dignity because God created them. They are children of God. And when we think about that, I want you to think about when we view ourselves and our, our identity through God's eyes and we seek to grow to be more and more like Christ, what do we want to be known for? When people talk about this little local church or about the gathering of believers, what should we be known for in this community? I, I think just like any hotel or business starts out, they want to be known for something and and they want to get that high rating and have people talk good about them. But it doesn't happen with everybody. And I think that's the same with churches. We start and we understand our mission from God. We know the verses, love the Lord with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And yet we can drift, just as a company can drift. And uh, Horst Schultze was saying, you know, the way that we do this is, it's, we don't go and we don't set up a bunch of rules so that we make sure they're joyful and treating people well. Because, I mean, then you, you just end up with a huge book that you have to take every new employee for, for every little circumstance. I was like, huh, sounds like the Pharisees, right? We, we're supposed to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, so what do they do? They, let's help people out. That's rule, 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 rule. And he said, what we do is we just draw them back, continually repeat the vision and the values, the vision and the values. And that's what Jesus did. He kept repeating the vision and the values. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Treat one another with love. And so anytime an issue would arise at the Ritz-Carlton, they would say, uh, their managers would begin to say, is that how you would treat a lady? Is this how we should treat a gentleman? Is this how you would like to be treated as a lady or gentleman? We can ask ourselves that as we are living life together and we, we stumble. We can say, man, is that how a son or a daughter of the king should act? As we enter into a new book this morning, we're going to go into the book of Philemon, a tiny book. Um, Paul is really saying, if you're sons and daughters of the king, how are you supposed to act? How are you supposed to respond to situations differently than the world. If you want to open up with me uh, to the book of Philemon, uh, you'll find that in the New Testament. And uh, it's right after all the T's, first and second Timothy and Titus, and then comes Philemon, right before, if you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. And uh, it just takes up a page in my Bible. I know some, usually in most Bibles, that's about what it is, so. So as we look at Philemon, we're going to spend a couple weeks here and, um, and talk about this little letter um, from Paul. And uh, the more I looked at it, the more I'm amazed, uh, and we'll talk about that, uh, how it got into the scriptures at all. Um, is, in other words, why did God choose this book? That's what I've been asking. Why did God choose this book, this situation for us? And I think... If you've ever been frustrated by the church or by other believers or you've been hurt by church people, then this might be a book for you to look at. If you've ever been on the outside looking in or wondering what the church is supposed to look like, 
this is going to challenge us. It's going to challenge us really about who we are and about what we are all about. You see, the first church planter was Apostle Paul, and he had a dramatic conversion, as we know, from persecutor to planter. And he was trained up in the gospel, went from region to region, city to city, and churches were formed. And as they were formed, he would write back to them, giving them instructions, sending uh, godly men to help them set up a structure and get leaders and elders in place and help them through issues that were coming up as they figured out how to do life in this new thing called the way or the followers of Christ and the church. And so as he looked at this and he began to help them understand you're a family now, you're to function as a family, um, he wrote this letter. And it begins, says Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Now this is probably um, written at the same time we're going to see as the book of Colossians and uh, written from a prison in Rome where uh, Paul was taken and uh, was being persecuted by the Jews and he appealed to, to Rome and so he was working his way up there um, for trial and he was in chains there and when I was in uh, Rome twice I got to go and we got to go, dad was with her, we got to go down and they called the maritime prison and you go down these little stairs and I could barely stand, I had to bend over and there's a little light there, you'd see a bench and they, they proclaim that that's uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, prison. Now, whether it is or not, we know for sure it was a prison in Rome from that time period. And so it was humbling to see where he would be down there. And most likely, uh, if they allowed him to write, he'd have to hand it through a little hole or he'd have to be saying it out and have somebody writing it for him. And this one, we believe, was written by him and sent with the letter to the Colossians, which we'll look at in a moment. So he addresses it to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, to Epiphia, our sister, and to Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at first it seems like a, a private letter, and yet then he includes the, the church in your house. And so uh, he, it's really an ap apostolic letter. He's writing to this church in Colossians, uh, in Colossae. And he's addressing an issue uh, in particular. This letter we're going to see uh, is addressing a pretty important issue. Now, we get a little bit of a reference here to some of the people in this letter in Colossians. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. You may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him, Onesimus, our faithful, beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And so we're going to learn more and more about this uh, man, Onesimus, and the issues surrounding him in this letter. You see, what we understand is that this Onesimus was a slave in the house of Philemon. And apparently... He had run away. And we don't know how, but God works in that way. He came across Paul. And a lot of slaves would run away to Rome because it's easier to get in the big crowds there. Um, and so Paul, at some point, is talking to him. And this we'll see next week. We'll see Onesimus comes to know Jesus. And so after talking with Paul, now he's going to be sent back to his 
master, um, and, but he is now a beloved brother. And so how is Paul going to address this situation with them? And so he sends a separate note to go along with, and I, I believe it went at the same time. Some see a little different timing, but to go along with the letter to the Colossians, instructing them about this specific situation. And so as we look at this, we understand that Paul here is going to be appealing to the church. Now, as we look at this and we talk through this, you can think, well, why is this little side issue in the Bible at all? <laughs> why is it that this one-page letter makes it to the Scriptures? Well, I think, really, if we look at everything we've been talking about the last three weeks, what I see here is that this letter tells us that all those great things about love one another, better together, using our gifts, we're going to see a real-life ugly, messy situation and how the gospel applies to it and how the gospel applies to all that we've been learning. Being better together is great when we all get along, but when we hit a bump in the road, how do you do it? How do you maintain unity? How do you maintain love and caring and encouraging for one another? And so we're going to walk through that and we're going to see this uh, here as we begin to uh, go through each and every one of these uh, verses and talk about them. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is that we have Onesimus. Onesimus goes from a uh, guy on the run in hiding, and he had to be in hiding because if you were a runaway slave and you were caught, you were going to be abused, beaten, maybe returned, maybe not, to your owner. So he was in hiding, but now he's moving to homebound. And I mean that in two senses of the world, word. He's moving to homebound because now he has a new heavenly home. But when we get our heavenly home right, the horizontal right often, uh, or the vertical right, we often are compelled to make our horizontal relationships right. And so, I don't know, but I thought about Onesimus and I thought, you know, I'm not much different than him. When I'm in a conflict or things go wrong or I know I'm the one that messed up, I want to run and hide. I don't want to deal with it. I want to get away. I want to be out of sight. And you know what? Most of us either have that. Either you've got a fight or a flight response, right? You either stand up and if you're a fighter, then sometimes the emotions get in and you, man, you wish you could take some things back that you said. Now, flight, you you don't say things you regret, but you regret not saying anything. <laughs> and that's where Onesimus is, and he's struggling with that. And I think that's most of our default modes, really, when it comes to sin, is hiding just as Adam and Eve hid from the Lord or thought they could hide from the Lord in the garden. We hide because of a fear of the response of others, a fear of consequences, for sure, for him, for our sin, and a fear of shame, a fear of what people will think of us. Uh, has fear ever caused you to hide or run away from a situation? Um, to hide from God? You know in your heart you've got to deal with some stuff with Jesus, but you just don't want to. That can cause us not to attend church. It can cause us to let our Bible gather dust on a shelf. Cause us to quit praying. And we don't get the backstory here of what happens in Onesimus' heart and how God amazingly connects him to Paul. But we know it wasn't by chance. 
We know God is in control, and we know that God pursued Onesimus, just as he pursues us, because it says he will leave the 99 and go and pursue the one and bring him back into the fold. And Paul's trying to complete that process in this letter. And I, and I can tell you, I can look back at my life, and I see God's perfect placement of people in my life when I'm struggling. And it, I'll bump into somebody and be like, I haven't seen you for months, or you haven't called me for months, and they're talking to me, and it's like God calling me back. You, maybe you go and you hear a, a message, and you're like, that guy know what I'm going through right now? Because that scripture just pierced right through. And I'm like, no, the Holy Spirit knew. The Holy Spirit knew, and it, it hit me right where I needed to be hit, or open up and read a scripture, and you're like, oh, man, God, it's been too long. Directly, the Holy Spirit challenges me. You know, that's one of the values, by the way, of being in community or in a gospel community is that it gives other people the opportunity for the Spirit to speak into our lives and to help us and to keep us from that lie that it'd be better off if we hide in shame. And so Paul has convinced this runaway to return. Now he must prepare the hearts of this church, especially of Philemon, to accept Onesimus back. And so how's he going to go about this? Well, this morning we're going to look at his opening remarks. And I love the opening remarks in his letters because uh, they're all different. Uh, and it shows they're all personal. It's not just I'm trying to butter them up before I give them the right hook. Uh, he actually loves them and is giving them genuine affection and praise. And so he starts out and he knows there's a personal offense but he's going to try to move them from that personal offense to being partners. And we see this here, even in the opening of these three verses. And so he, he says to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker or beloved partner. The word there for fellow worker or partner is synergos. Synergos. And it is the word for that we get synergy from. Working together. He is a partner. He is one in working for the Lord. And so it means that a combined effort is greater than the individual parts. I guess it means they're better together. And since we're better together, Paul says, I'm writing you because we have synergy. And I can be honest and appeal to you and to your family and to Epiphia, which we believe is his wife. And so he appeals to her. Why? Because she was impacted by the loss of this servant as well. So he appeals to her, and he, he calls her what? He says, our sister. We're in the family of God. You are our sister. And so then he says to Acrippus, he says, you're a fellow soldier. Now, two theories on this, actually three. Acrippus um, could be uh, the lead elder or pastor in the church. Um, many say it, it could be, and I'm kind of thinking, maybe this is the son. Maybe he is a leader in the church as well. But it would make sense. He's going through the household and uh, talking to them and appealing to them. But he calls him, he gives him a different title. He says, fellow soldier, comrade in arms, fellow struggler. Often we need to be reminded that when things go wrong in the church, it is not personal. It's spiritual. We 
our warfare is not against flesh and blood. As much as I see people with skin on, I know that there is an adversary, the devil, who goes about trying to destroy our unity. Every week there's something that comes up. There's a church that is struggling, trying to fight for unity. So we have to remember that. That's one of the greatest gifts that we, we can know is that there are spiritual forces we can't see. I can't understand at work here. And we need to keep our focus on that main battle. Not just between us. This is something that's going on and it impacts eternity. Warfare is being waged and it's real. And so he includes this greeting and then he also says the church that meets in this man's house which we believe is a Colossian church. And so if you're meeting in a church, in a house, and the slave that is working there, the servant that is working there has run away, everybody knows about it. You can't hide that problem. They all know, and they probably have all felt the effects of just things that are a little bit out of order because of the work that this guy has done. Or as we'll see later, maybe the work he didn't do so well. And so it's something that has become from just their little family to the whole family, this church's situation, because their church met in the home. And so we can't go any further, right, without addressing this issue, because I keep saying slave. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Slavery. Immediately, our minds go to our country's history. And the slavery based on the color of a person's skin, a treatment of them that was horrid if you look at our history and actually the history of the world has done this kind of slavery and yet here within the, the Roman world we need to understand that slavery uh, took on even more of an economic sense that people would get in a situation and they would sell themselves into slavery just so they would have a place to live and, and to be taken care of and a place to work slaves had rights now they weren't treated perfectly. Some were treated very poorly by their master. Others were treated really well. But there was a system and an understanding of what happened with the master and slave. And some of them were more close to what we would call employment than they were what we see in our human history. And in, especially next week, we will talk about, does Paul ignore this issue? Does the Bible ignore it? Or is there something that Paul is doing that is completely against the culture? And there is. So next week we'll find out how that works. But I wanted you to understand that, that, that sometimes even doctors, lawyers, even politicians got themselves into slavery in that culture. Um, but it wasn't just solely based on the color of one's skin or thinking one is higher than another is the value of a person. Uh, it was quite a bit different structure. And so as we move into this, we have that introduction. And then he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And so when he first met them, he was an acquaintance of theirs. Um, obviously, some came to Christ through him and then others through the ministry of this church. And and he's really, he's moving from acquaintance to affection. And we see that here in three ways. Now, the first way we see it here is he says, I thank God when I remember you 
in my prayer. When I'm thanking God for somebody in my prayers, it softens my heart towards them. It's impossible for me to have my heart stay hard if I continually pray about somebody specifically and I'm thanking God for them. Now, it may take longer sometimes than others, but as I do that, it keeps me focused on the mission of the church and on the one another's. Um, you know, and, and it changes my heart. And a perspective of gratitude across the board, being thankful really changes our heart in a lot of things. Now, the last few, actually the last month, I've been dealing with like weird computer things. I had this computer donated way back in Texas 10 years ago, and then it's like typing the sermon, and then poof, your computer is resetting. Like, oh no, that's lost five paragraphs. So then I started, and that would happen randomly. Then I just started saving every two seconds. But, um, you know, and then, but then as I got into that, and then you get stuff, and you're trying to install new things, get a new thing going, you know, on with repairs. And I was like, I'm just thankful I have a computer. I'm thankful that I've got this. I, I'm gra I have gratitude for this car issue that it can be solved, that I do have a car. And that helped me to work through that process. Um, gratitude, that perspective changed my thoughts. I didn't get there right away, but eventually we made it there. But prayer for one another, it does. It changes our hearts. Gratitude changes our hearts. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. If you're struggling, stop and begin praying for those you're struggling with or those you're trying to get along with or just praying for your own heart if you're the one struggling with sin. And that's where we come face to face with our Savior in prayer, opening up the scriptures, praying through them. And you know what? So often, God nudges me. He puts a person in my thoughts or reminds me of them until my heart prays for them. And when I don't, it's my own heart that begins to get damaged and eventually can grow colder and harder and miss out on the body. And when we do that, we got to remember it impacts the whole body. And yet, there's another thing he says there. He says, okay, so I, I, th I pray about you. I'm thankful for you. And guess what? I'm hearing about your love and the faith you have towards Jesus and for all the saints. This love for Jesus, whenever it happens in the body, it begins to spill over and it impacts others. And that's what gets shared about us. That's what we're known for, is our love. He says, I've been hearing about that. I've been hearing about your love that is overflowing. And then he moves into verse 6. Now, verse 6, if you're an underliner, I would underline that verse because I believe this verse is the hinge of the entire letter, the foundation for the entire letter. So it's no wonder that this verse is the most debated verse in the book of Philemon. And so you look there, I, I put it up here. It's right there in front of you. If you have ESV, it says this, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, I've studied original languages, and so when I look at these things, I'm like, what do they mean? What? Why did they pick these English words to match those Greek words? But if you're not 
somebody who's versed in that, how do you go about figuring out if this is a really good way to communicate this in English? Well, one thing you can do is to look at different versions of the scriptures to see how those interpreters put it in our language. That can help us get the different nuances of these meanings of these words. So if you were to read this, you would say, sharing of your faith, you'd think of what? Witnessing, right? The sharing of your faith would be effective. You, the gospel would be effectiveness. You would be good witnesses for Christ. Well, let's look at some other versions. Um, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you in Christ's sake. That's the New American Standard. New Living Translation. Um, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. And then it says in the message, which is a paraphrase, it takes like a whole group of words and he sums it up. So I don't study from that kind of Bible, just as a side note, because it does all the work for you and tells you what he thinks it says. So I like the more word for word rather than summaries. And this says, but I like it because it gives us fresh language when we're studying and talking about it. So it says, and I keep praying that this faith we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things we do and that people recognize Christ in all of us. And so as I looked at this and you, I think that rather than witnessing, these other verses show us that there's this idea of sharing. It's this idea of company. It's the idea of fellowship, sharing something together, not the idea of sharing your faith. We are sharing our faith in Christ together. We have a common belief. We have a common truth that's impacting our lives. And so it's more than simply enjoying one another's company or having fellowship. And it's not referring to witnessing. I think it refers to a mutual sharing of life because believers have in common a partnership in the gospel, in our faith in the gospel. And so I like that it says there, and I keep praying that this faith we hold in common keeps showing up. And so what Paul is saying here is that when you share the gospel as a believers, as a family of God, it becomes more effective when you're together and you begin to understand it. It becomes more effective and you gain more and more of the full knowledge of everything that is good that Christ has for us. If you're just by yourself, and you're not having other gifts poured into you, other people around you, you're not going to get the full understanding of the gospel. It might be pretty easy, actually, because you don't have to try and get along with one another. But he's saying, I want that, the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ to come through. The full understanding of that. And so he wants them to move from just being faithful to Christ to being fruitful as a body of Christ to having the fact that we understand what the gospel is. If you understand what the gospel is and what Christ has done, it should overflow into how you react to your slave running away. That's what he's going to get to. It should impact. He's saying, listen, brothers and sisters, I'm about to challenge you with something, but the foundation of it is we are all under the gospel. And because we are all in the gospel, if you really understand the gospel and the good works it wants to produce, then what I'm about to say should be received pretty well. 
So we need to allow the gospel to inform our thinking and actions towards one another. First and foremost, go back to the gospel. So Paul closes his introduction uh, and greeting with verse 7. And he says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So they move from discovered joy the joy of salvation, to shared joy. And I love that word there, and it's a key word in this letter, is refresh. The spirit of this age is about comparisons, cutdowns of a people, cynicism towards those in authority, criticism, self-centeredism, that's my own word. Um, heading into the holidays, what would it look like to be a person who brings joy to other people? What would it look like for our community to overflow with joy because we're focusing on our shared faith in Jesus Christ and trying to get more and more knowledge about that? The hearts of the saints. What if somebody said that? The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Wow, that's a compliment. I'd love somebody to say that. You've refreshed, I've refreshed you? What? The word refreshed here, um, and the it is used throughout uh, Greek terms. The idea of refreshed is used over and over when it's referring to the military and taking a break. Um, you've been going hard and you need to take a break. Get replenished. Maybe it's traipsing through the jungle in the heat with the packs on and you stop and there's fresh water and you stop and you get water and you get to take that load off and sit for a little bit so that you can continue on. I remember watching, probably watched it several times by now, but uh, growing up we liked to watch the latest movies on our, our history in the war and World War II and uh, the bridge on the River Kwai. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, yeah so some of you. If not, maybe you'll watch it someday. A really good movie. But they're going along, um, they're, they're marching to this key bridge and, and um, they're trying to come up to it, and I just remember one point, they, they take a break, and they get to set their sacks down, and they've been pushed hard, and it's hot and sweltering. And as they're taking that break, then amongst their company, somebody begins to whistle. And they begin to whistle, and it begins to spread throughout the group. I'm not a great whistler, but I'm good when I'm a part of a team. Da, 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 da. And it goes throughout that. And then they get caught, and they're in the Japanese internment camp, and, and they're being beaten and hit. And their spirits aren't going to be broken, and another soldier will start that whistle again. And so eventually others will hear it, and they'll be like, join on in. And they begin to get refreshed. And, and it just vexes the guards that are looking over them. They're like, we can't break them. But that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. We can't be broken because of the joy we have, but we need someone else sometimes to start whistling. Some, some mornings we come in here and these things, these curtains, especially the old ones, we'd set them up, boom, they'd pop off, fall down. Uh, cords wouldn't work or feedback would happen. I remember one morning it was particularly frustrating getting things set up and chairs were kind of all disheveled and 
and then uh, Matt just pulls out back there on the, puts it up on the speaker, some, I don't remember the words, some silly song about Canada. And we all just started to laugh, and it just lightened up the whole morning. And it's like, okay, this is just set up. Let's enjoy it together. That was like the perfect timing. And uh, yeah, we're just like, why are you put that song on? It just got us all in the right place of focus. But we can do that for one another. It's what God has given us to one another for. That kind of refreshment that's good for your outside, but more good for the inside and for your soul. That's what the body of Christ is. And it's like being served at that most upscale whole hotel, isn't it? It's a good goal we reach for as we gather once a week. Some weeks you're the refresher. Other weeks you come in needing to be refreshed by someone else, needing them to whistle into your life. And I wonder, could we just turn to say someone this morning and just say, you bring me joy. Go ahead and try that. Say, you bring me joy to somebody sitting around you or more than one. feel good we can do that without being prompted you can come up to somebody and be genuine just say you bring me joy i got the joy this morning i got to hold the mic <laughs> while they prayed if that didn't refresh you i'm telling you just and i need to let kids pray more often in church they could teach us a thing or two couldn't they <laughs> yeah no wonder jesus wanted them to come to him he needed some children in his life after dealing with all those adults all the time but uh, you are refreshing. That's what he's telling these people. You refresh me. And next week, he's going to give them some really hard stuff. But this week, he's saying, this is who we are as the people of Christ. Now, here's what you need to do. You see, as, as children of God, we need to remember this. A child of God is someone who allows the gospel to spill over into absolutely every part of life. Nothing hidden. When you do that, it impacts you and the people around you. And that's what verse 6 is all about. That's what this letter is about. He's saying, listen, the gospel's got to spill over into everything. It changes everything we do. And this is how you're going to need to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the refreshment you give us through these letters. This little piece of paper that was carried hundreds of miles away and delivered has been preserved for us to study and learn from today. Unbelievable, so that we could be refreshed this morning. You are truly in control. If you're in control of that little letter, I bet you're in control of the situations in our lives this morning. The things that we're hiding from are just the fear we have about life, struggles, frustrations. So Lord, we thank you that we don't do this alone. We have others who will come in whistling and remind us, man, there's so many good things in the gospel. And there'll be days where we get to remind others of that. And may we do that during the week. Even those who aren't here this morning who are sick or struggling, may they be refreshed. Even all the way overseas, be refreshed by another believer. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please join us and stand as we uh, sing together.